Uh, That's how I do it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, don't get that on tape. I'm recording now. (laughs) You can edit that out, right? Yeah. Coming to you from the West Coast, this is Politicoast, or at least a sort of teaser for it. We'll be releasing our first episode on Friday, but for now, we couldn't pass up the chance to weigh in on the first U.S. presidential debate, which is happening in about 14 minutes. Since this may be the first of the last U.S. presidential debates, or even the last debates before (laughs) the apocalypse begins, so while we'd usually remain focused on the BC angle of a story, today we're going to focus on, we're just going to ramble through some thoughts on this election coming up. I'm Ian. I'm Scott. And we're throwing in Trevor. Yep. Say hi. I'm Trevor. <laughs> We're not on iTunes yet, but we are on Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn, so leave us a review there and on iTunes when we find us. And make sure to follow us on Facebook. We're Politicoast and on Twitter at Pod. So let's get started. What do we expect to happen tonight? I expect one of the candidates to say dicks out for Harambe. <laughs> Either Hillary to appeal to millennials or Donald Trump just because he wants to whip his dick out. Do you think that will cost them votes with the minority crowd? I know Trump doesn't care. Uh, Does Trump has votes He will lose? pretend to care. That's He'll not pretend mean, to care, Not yeah. minority groups, that's <laughs> obvious. Fair enough. Scott, any other expectations for tonight? Well, the big thing I think is Hillary's going to try and uh, really highlight Trump's inexperience to try and catch him up on just his complete lack of depth on any substantive policy matter. And it, the whole thing's going to be... This is how unpresidential Trump is, and try and win over the undecideds. It's going to be tough. I mean, in every debate or in every discussion so far that they've had with him, or like long-form media interview, he can just get away with rambling, and maybe that's just the journalists letting him go. Maybe it's just the American people don't care, or enough of them, which is a scary, scary thought. Well, I think in this case, you've got her to hold his feet to the fire, so you'll see a lot more kind of hard-hitting questions on the sort of vagaries of Trumpism. Right. Is there anything else that you'll be watching for tonight? I think uh, it's going to be a lot easier to lock Trump down, like you were talking about, because it's going to be a two-candidate race as compared to the primaries. It's going to be a lot easier to to call him out. Uh, it's going to be a lot harder for him to, to bullshit and... Uh, and sort of makes something that vaguely sounds good enough to articulate in in a point where they're giving him so much time to talk. I mean, they're giving him more rope to hang himself with, right? So I... <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, like, I've followed the election, but I haven't really gone and watched a full Trump speech because I don't hate myself. And like, it's the kind of election where I've tried to stay from afar, but you can't not see it. And so tonight will be my like first full frontal exposure to unrepenting Trump, which scares the crap out of me. (laughs) But so I I don't know which Trump we'll see. Will we see alt-right fascist Trump? Will we see the apprentice Trump? Will we see moderate? Is there a moderate Trump? Uh, I think (laughs) think we're going to see moderate Trump for the first little while, and at some point he'll get off message. We'll see all of them, right? Yeah, cool. So who's going to win tonight then? Uh, well, that's the good question. Are we talking the expectations game, or are we talking, uh, normally? Just if a completely dispassionate, ignorant observer of U.S. politics watch it, almost certainly Clinton would win. But the bar for Trump is so low to 
quote, one conservative strategist in Canada, if he shows up with his pants on, he basically wins. He just has to step over it. So you think the dicks out for Harambe move might be uh, very damaging? Showing up, if he shows up without his pants on, yes, he will lose in that case. But other than that, I think the expectations are still low. I mean, they will be behind podiums, so we won't necessarily know. Well, presumably they will walk out there, okay. not teleport yeah. out. I for, think the camera does pan, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, the winning question, I thought of it the other day, and I thought, well, why don't we just say, who does the debate better? Like, who performed better in this debate? And once you put them against each other, then you go, oh, well, it's obvious. I hope it's going to be Trump. Hillary, if she can't perform better in this situation than Trump, we're all doomed. But when you'd have that vague question, who wins a debate, that doesn't actually mean anything because then you're just sort of trying them against them, their own expectations and they will meet them, I would hope. I guess the last most important question I have is what are we all drinking tonight? Because we need to drink through this. Uh, sea Dog, uh, beer by Vancouver Island Breweries. Cool. Trevor? Uh, I got, well, I'm just finishing off some uh, some of my own homemade wine and then I got some uh, Steamworks uh, pumpkin uh, beer. And I'm following the pumpkin trend with the Parallel 49 Schadenfreude that just came out. And it's delicious. You know what? That is a very appropriate beer. <laughs> that sounds good. Any other words before we dive in? Let's get started. Yep. All right. Okay, we're now on the other side of the debate. Uh, what's everyone's thoughts on how it went? Well, I would say having beer helped a lot <laughs> because sitting through Trump's streams of interruptions and invented words can we say <laughs> was difficult i thought he came off subdued in the very start i joked that he sounded almost like he was on valium or something but it seemed to wear off or else hillary got to him or he can't just keep his cool that long but she managed to stay level-headed and cool through the whole thing when she got more than two minutes or more than 30 seconds to talk without interruption she came off exactly as you'd expect. She was smart. She was intelligent. She put forward policy platforms that were just clear and, you know, reasonable. So overall, she did, I think, what she needed to do. But then again, we're all the sort of, like, reasonably well-off, liberal-minded types, whether or not we agree fully with Hillary. We're all sympathetic to her. We all don't want Trump to win. So I can't sympathize with the people who would think he did well tonight. Uh, you know, I, I think I was right about uh, the extra rope uh, working out in Hillary's favor. It seemed like the more time she left him to talk, the, the more rope she was giving him, and he was uh, making a, a noose of it for himself. You know, he, um, <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it, was, it was pretty bizarre, some of his, his stuff there. Like, he, he went off on stuff that was completely factually wrong. And I mean, I don't know if that plays well with him or if that will play against him. Well, the moments when Hillary asked, like, has he or pointed out two occasions where she knew for a fact from court records that he had paid no federal taxes, he boasted about it. He said, yeah, "Yeah, because I'm a good businessman. It's like, I don't know who that appeals to. Is there, are there people out there who think... Corporate oh, yeah. welfare queens, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, it could be either that or it's appealing to the we need someone who's smart and savvy and working for us instead of them. To, to take a more generous approach than's probably warranted on it. Uh, but yeah, I think that was a 
huge misstep on his part. Uh, like the last thing you want to do as a presidential candidate is basically be like, "Yeah, fuck, fuck the government." Hey, well, it's you, almost yeah. it's almost like he didn't prepare for tonight at all. Yeah, that <laughs> that is probably true. <laughs> what were your overall thoughts? Yeah, well, like I said, the at the start, uh, Clinton really needed to go for the "I'm super presidential and this guy isn't," and that's basically what happened. She was calm collected through the whole thing and Trump got progressively more unhinged and had a more difficult time sticking to message as it went on. Yeah, uh, I think in the latter half when it really got into the security and foreign policy issue, that's definitely her strong suit. And she could speak to exactly what she would do. And Trump seemed to fall back on this. I have this secret plan and I'm not going to mm -hmm. tell you it because then our enemies will know it. And it's not like she told anything that you wouldn't expect, but she could at least talk about how the importance of diplomacy. The, the yeah. secret plan is the is the American. I have a girlfriend in Canada. <laughs> you know, like it totally. It's she's totally there. You know, but uh, you know you can't see her or meet her or, or know who she is, right? You know, this sort of thing, right? Yeah. It's completely ridiculous, and I feel like it's it's probably transparent on the majority of the electorate. I don't well, know about... That's the thing. OPSEC is definitely important, but does anybody think there's actually a plan behind that? Or no. is this all bluster? Come on, right? Yeah, who, like, who really believes we, him that he's got some secret plan? Yeah. You know? This isn't Sun Tzu uh, running for president here. <laughs> there is no grand strategy uh, hiding behind deception here. It is all just empty bluster. <laughs> yeah. I mean... It was encouraging. We were watching the CNN post debate and they're throwing up the poll numbers right now. And they're they prefaced it talking about how their sample was Democratic biased. But the sort of questions right now, it's can Trump handle the presidency? Fifty five percent said no. Uh, who has better understanding of the issues? Who won the debate? Those are two thirds of them say Clinton. I mean, there's a very strong support for Clinton coming out of there. And they said, you know, 40% of their respondents who watch the debate are Democrats versus 25% are Republicans. That sort of base is almost the only people who think Trump won the debate. So it's sort of he got his base. The people who've already bought his weird, neo-fascist, scary, totalitarian message are probably pretty happy tonight. Because if they weren't deluded already... I mean, you know, some of, while you say that, some of the num other numbers that were up there, there was uh, splits like, could Trump ha handle the presidency? There was, like, only 55% saying no. And, I mean, that seems pretty low to me. I mean, did they watch the same debate as me? That was a weird one, because that was in the same poll that uh, talked about two-thirds of the viewers thinking Hillary won. Yeah. So, well, I don't I, know what I, they're saying about I don't necessarily see that as a conflicting stat. You, you can't have people you think are worse presidents if you nevertheless handle the okay, job. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Like, I mean, Mitt Romney was by no means the ideal candidate, but does anyone like really think he would have cracked under the pressure of the job? Or he probably would have... He probably would have been, would, been able to be president. He would have been right? able to like, be president. He, he probably would have put in some bad policies. But yeah. overall, he, he would have at least maintained an even keel throughout the four or eight years he would have been in power. Yeah, I guess, honestly, we've never really had that had to even ask that question before could candidate x handle the job <laughs> and a majority say no like in 2008 in 2012 
even in, you know, Bush Gore in whoever Bill Clinton faced off against. I don't remember because I was Bush and Dole. Exactly. All these <laughs> debates. You wouldn't ask, oh, could Dole handle it? Could George H.W. Bush handle it? Now we actually have to ask the question, do you think Trump could actually do this? And, you know, the Democratic biased poll says no. Yeah, I mean, it's only slightly Democratic bias. Like, if there's only 40-some percent of that demographic in there, at least 10% of the people who are saying he couldn't handle it are independents, right? So, so I mean, I'm just saying there, there's even, like, a lot of independent people who are, are against it, or uh, thinking that he can't handle it, right? You know. Yeah. I mean, I think coming out of this, there's a lot of talk of, you know, where the polls were going. We've seen this sort of terrifying convergence of uh, Clinton and Trump's numbers towards an almost coin flip level of who will win if the election was held today. But I think we've hit a turning point. I mean, we asked the question among our little group before, you know, do debates actually matter? And sometimes they don't. But Usually these big presidential ones where you have maybe 100 million people watching. I think they do. I mean, we saw the 2011 Canadian federal election debate really swing when Jack Layton gave a really convincing performance. He really dug into a natural. Exactly. He got a good thing going there. And in 2015, the Rachel Notley campaign in Alberta, she managed to really present herself as a viable, and the Alberta NDP as a viable alternative to essentially corrupt and, progressive conservatives that everyone had given up on and the only alternative so and even the uh, canadian federal one I, I think there was a point there where angry tom just didn't show up to the debate and that really hurt mm-hmm. yeah the ndp massively misread that election and they didn't seize on the change zeitgeist that was in there and I think the debate performance really highlighted that where Mulcair was very low-key, not really energetic, and it it left the fertile, you know, seize-the-day change ground to... to well, I mean, I, that I, helped push things. I feel like they that party had been misreading that tide of change since 2012 when they elected Tom Mulcair to be their leader, you know? Uh, but anyway, you know... Well, so what's the zeitgeist in America right now? Who read it better? That's something I'm not sure of, actually, because on one hand, yeah, there's definitely some new political feelings and movements coming to the forefront, but at the same time, I'm having trouble putting my finger on what the overall narrative of the campaign is. I I can kind of get Trump's narrative of... Disaffectment at the whole political establishment and anger and... Yes, but I, I can't put a finger on what kind of the... Clinton narrative is so much other than the same but different. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what I was joking earlier. You know, change through consistency is her clear beat message. Uh, because I love obscure references. I mean, Bernie Sanders, Jeremy Corbyn in the UK, they captured on this disaffectment. You know, this anger with the establishment and elites that are sort of following the same trend. And then that's the sort of left side of it. But then you have the Brexit and the Trump supporters who are also equally sort of left behind almost. And it's the sort of result, I think, of inequality, of growing inequality, that they're looking for a savior. And they're like, who can present simple solutions to complex problems? And Trump presents simple solutions. They're so simple, you know, a fifth grader could present them. That was another joke I saw on 
Facebook. This was a university professor versus a fifth grader trying to debate. But yes, but at, at the same time, I, I I feel like the kind of I want to say status quo hasn't. They've gotten so used to being the dominant position, they've forgotten how to win. Yeah, I, but, I've heard this point made about um, economic right in the post-Cold War era where they've won and don't really know how to make the arguments anymore. And I feel like the same thing kind of goes for the other established status quo positions is that a lot of them don't know how to make the argument on it without getting into nitty-gritty policy details or hitting easy buzzwords you know, just calling it something racist, xenophobic, and kind of pushing it off there. And they don't really know how to argue on substantive policy grounds, which I think was probably Clinton's weakest point was in the start of it with the trade. The the economic evidence is really clear on the benefits of trade, but it's a hard argument to make. And it's even harder by the fact that there's been 20 years of not really having to really fight that argument, that everybody's forgotten how to make those arguments. They got into a NAFTA debate, which is what Canada argued in 93. And, and to be fair, though, uh, I think... even older uh, than that. It was the 84 legend, wasn't it? Oh, I'd have to double-check that. But, <laughs> but, but the whole division that happens with regard to the free trade and, and this sort of stuff, this falls on... A, it's a It's a measure of rhetoric, like where they're trying to make this uh, this sort of point of win on communities who've been very negatively affected by outsourcing and these sorts of things. That's what Trump is going for. And uh, it's actually, you know, um, I think Michael Moore uh, was the first one to sort of comment on this strategy that he's sort of using to sort of win over these states rather than going for swing states by focusing on this messaging. And I don't know how successful it will. Like, this is one of the underlying currents that uh, that you were sort of referencing in your question there. Um that is going to make a huge deal when it comes election time. And I don't really know a lot about the areas around there, so I mean, how will it go? <laughs> the solutions Trump presented are these ideal, like, it almost sounded like he was proposing a GST at one point, but I think he was more just upset that other countries charge sales taxes that the U.S. Imports. doesn't do at the federal level. So he's talking mm-hmm. about, like, an import sales tax, which I think any economist would call a tariff. Correct me if well, I'm wrong. I, well, I, I think if it's a broad, well, if it's a broad consumption tax on all consumption, it's not really a tariff because you're applying that also to domestically manufactured. Stuff. It didn't sound oh, like it. he was talking well, about just like bringing the jobs back by just taxing things that well, come into the yeah, country. Well, this is, is Trump not having a solid grasp of policy. I think more than anything, but. <laughs> From I mean, the sounds of it, he was complaining about Mexico's VAT, which is value-added tax, basically a GST for the Canadian context. And that's applied on both domestic and foreign product. So yeah, like Ch- Mexico charges a, I'm going to assume Trump's numbers are right on this, a 16% VAT. Everything coming into the country gets charged 16%, where stuff going into the U.S. doesn't necessarily get that 16%. But it's not really a, if the U.S. were to also impose a 16% sales tax, it's not really a tariff because it's also applying to domestically manufactured goods. Or if he actually introduced a sales tax and not a tariff, which yeah, what I got was it definitely just sort of let's tax the imports and yeah, then, it sounded like he was proposing a tariff, like which well, honestly, honestly, it was really hard to tell what his policy position is. <laughs> like always, so like, like right? I was half expecting him to just sort of say the way to get jobs back to America because that's what he was asked would be just cut the wages and 
then that would be the obvious answer, which he didn't go to, luckily, because that would yeah. have been obviously terrible. And so he went to the slightly less terrible. Well, I'd, but, I'd actually argue a, going to a sales tax is actually a pretty decent model, assuming you pair it with a progressive rebate. Assuming that's what he meant, and not yeah. actually just tax but, all like, there, imports. There's a, yeah, there's definitely been a movement, at least along the wanter side of the economic conservatives to move to more more sales tax and reduce income and corporate taxes. So in theory, Trump could have distilled a few of those ideas kind of in there. But I don't see Trump going into the wonkish realm ever. Yeah. <laughs> so what I, like, if we take his later policies, he was talking about NATO, and he was discussing NATO partners not paying their fair share, which we're Canadian. We don't spend as much on our military as NATO yes. asks us to. And we can debate whether we should or not. Yeah, N- N- NATO, there. Uh, N- NATO asked for a 2% of GDP spending target. Are we even spending one? We're basically hovering right around one, which is at its <laughs> lowest point in decades. Prob- uh, since the, before World War II, if I'm not mistaken. That's just been a gradual cutting of yeah, but government like, after government. I mean, what, what was coined the decade of darkness on, in the 90s under the liberals where budgets were slashed. And so, we never dropped to 1% even then. So as a, as a percentage of GDP, our military is massively underfunded. And it, if Trump actually had a correct point on fact in this whole thing, I think that was probably one of them is that Yes, a lot of NATO is underspending. U.S. spend four percent. We're spending one. Most countries are spending so around was, one and a half. So he was definitely correct on the U.S. is disproportionately spending on NATO versus most of the allies. Well, but I, his sort of argument there was, well, the U.S. is defending the world for all these other people. So those other NATO allies should essentially. He literally said they should be paying America to defend them in almost a sort of like mob gangster it, it was, i i you know you owe me for it was definitely this. a much more transactional view of nato than actually <laughs> like i think almost, exists among so the various nato members i drew to that because it's almost like he expects a tax from japan from canada he didn't say canada he said japan though uh to well, pay the u.s for protection money, more, uh, you know he's got a protection population. racket running yeah. he maybe that's how he views nato and so that's why i see his way of approaching trade as also being a sort of tax on imports yeah, that could definitely be it. And we're not dealing with a candidate here who has a substantive policy grasp. One of the things I really thought odd was was the idea of him bringing up the NATO discussion because previously he's been looked at as being much more friendly with Putin and much more uh, towards uh, sort of really ending the, the sorts of protections of area... Areas that NATO is traditionally designed to protect. I mean, if NATO isn't stopping Russian aggression, which is still kind of a problem, Definitely. what the hell is it for, right? <laughs> like, well, that, that's actually... And maybe one... if, if it's not, like, should it be funded as heavily as their prescriptions are? And Well, and maybe... that's actually been one of the big strategic issues with NATO since uh, 1990 when the Cold War kind of ended, mm-hmm. is for kind of 20 years, it's been drifting a bit strategically. There hasn't really been a clear focus. And if anything, uh, Putin's adventures in Eastern Europe has kind of breathed new life into NATO in that they actually have a strategic issue to deal with <laughs> now. And before that, I remember a couple of years ago, there was serious talk about whether NATO was even relevant anymore and whether or not 
it should be disbanded and I don't really hear that talk anymore with um with issues happening with Ukraine and there's serious concerns with the Baltic states which are NATO members. I, I don't see NATO fading away, at least until Putin kind of stops his adventurism. But the point that I was getting at is that Trump has been traditionally seen as being much more friendly with and looking at ramping down U.S. involvement in NATO. So why is he using the pro-NATO rhetoric, right? Like, it just yeah, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that was actually one thing that really confused me. Is he was then talking about getting all of NATO together to go after ISIS, which... Seemed inconsistent with his other views on NATO. I found, yeah, I love that sort of angle he took tonight because he sort of picked up on your point, Trevor, that, oh, NATO's been driftless and thing and, he, and all that because he, Trump pointed out, why hasn't NATO, like, started to go after terrorism? It's only after I raise the issue because it's always about Trump because it's freaking Donald Trump. But he said, you know, only after I brought this up did they form a task force, which, I mean, it's a correlation. He probably said something well, and now there's a new task force on terrorism in NATO. But Hillary Clinton did point out after that, right after 9-11, the only time NATO has ever all come to the defense of one ally is when America was attacked. And that's when all of NATO went to mm -hmm. Afghanistan. Yes. Yeah. And Trump is just factually wrong that NATO hasn't been considering terrorism since 2011. It's been a major overriding concern of NATO for a long time. Mm -hmm. And in fact, was where NATO was spending most of its efforts pre-Ukraine uh, uh, situation. All right. So I guess the next question is just from tonight, where where does it all go? What does each candidate need to do next? And by each candidate, I mean, what does Hillary Clinton need to do to not fuck this up? The, the biggest thing Clinton needs to do is both continue to establish herself as the, the candidate with the most presidential temperament and uh, demeanor, and not only that, she has to find a way to both stop Trump's momentum and kind of broaden her appeal or at least change the polls to reflect the actual degree of relative competency between the two of them. Because Trump is completely out of his lead on almost any substantive policy matter, yet they're pulling so shockingly close together. It, it indicates there's something wrong and something isn't connected, and that's the big thing that has to get corrected for but exactly what that is is hard to say and hard to change. Uh, you know, I think in debates going forward, you know, Hillary was offering Trump bait and and he was coming out to take the bait, but it wasn't very good bait or bait for very good topics to sort of really let him hang himself on on these sort of topics. She needs to work on on better targeting that. There wasn't a lot of meat out there if there were any of her, the young people she's trying to win back into the fray. Uh, so, you know, that's going to come up, you know, he was having a hard time, uh, being coherent. He needs to be shorter, uh, in, in his statements to the point a lot more and make sure that he makes sense before he opens his mouth. Right. <laughs> I mean, like there was, I, I mean, in the middle of the debate, I, I had to ask you, like, is, is it just me or can I, is he not speaking coherently right now? Because, you know, it was just non sequitur to non sequitur. Well, and I'm just like, what the hell is he even talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if you're talking in dog whistles and, uh, and, uh, and these sorts of things, maybe somebody's getting it. But, like, that's not going to win him the general for sure. And, you know, I don't know. So, you know, keep well, it up, Donald. Keep being you. <laughs> 
because we don't want you there. You do, anyway. you, Donald. <laughs> I mean, my take is I think Hillary is playing a longer game. She knows the election isn't until November, so she knows to play her cards when she needs to. So she took several days off to prepare for tonight because it hmm. frankly didn't matter to her. And this is how I think when I'm feeling a little more optimistic. When I look at 538.com and I see it's a coin flip, I feel really freaking desperate. But <laughs> if I want to think a little more rationally, a little bit more long-term about it, I like to hope she's thinking longer-term. Is like It doesn't matter if he catches up a little because I can take these big jumps and these sort of platform steps. And it's a bit maybe a bit more risky because you let him catch up. Uh, so I think she used that effectively, that preparation time effectively, to pull a really impressive performance tonight because it takes a lot of stamina as Trump accused her of having none of tonight to stand up there for an hour and a half, not drink a sip of water and to just have that. I saw it described on Facebook as the woman listening face as in that's the face a woman learns to have when men keep shouting over her <laughs> as she has to grin and bear it and then eventually get her point across. At least it was only one man. <laughs> that she had to face and not a whole boardroom. Fair enough, yeah. So I'm hoping she's got the long game planned out. She has enough money in her campaign chest to hire the best people and to know the best things, so I can't presume to advise her better from, you know, this couch here in mm. Vancouver. So, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic about the long-term goal for her and for her to win. I think this will turn the polls a bit in her favor, and I think she can capitalize that on that. I know in the last few months she's tried playing the angle of exploiting how racist Trump is. She's played a couple, she spent a couple big social media campaigns on trying to highlight, oh, here's all the racists who support Trump and trying to really bring that up. And she sort of played to some of that tonight, but I can't, it doesn't seem to work. I know it plays really well to us. We love mm -hmm. it because we can, agree, we agree with yeah. it and we're that sort of target audience. And maybe she's just trying to, you know, vigorate her base to be like, Trump is so terrible, you need to make sure he doesn't win. As in, you need to donate, volunteer, and vote. Because well, maybe it's a risk they won't. This is something that has been a part of the entire conversation for a while, is people saying, you know, uh, she's not going to win just on negative messaging alone. She needs to have positive messaging to make people actually want... Because, I mean, you know, uh, Trump is the second most hated... Uh, person running for the presidency. Uh, most, I think. Or, yeah, more, most. Between yeah. the two of them. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. between the two of them. Sorry, that's what I meant. Is he's the most? She's the second most. They're not gonna win slinging any more mud at each other. Well, right? I, I don't actually know you about know? this. Like, this, this is a weird election where the more you can make it about the other guy, the better your chances are to win. I don't know. Is... I I don't think. I think they've reached the bottom on that. And they, what they got to do, like they're the both the most hated. They got to build themselves up in people's eyes. They got to make people think that they have a vision or something that will that will work for people and help people realize that what they want to see for their country. And that's one of the reasons I'm very scared of Trump winning is because even though like he seems to be very incoherent, to, he's trying to make his message resonate with with uh, certain demographics and stuff like that. that... And, and more to the point, he has a me he has a narrative. Yes. Which is something Clinton doesn't have. Mm -hmm. I I've been trying to think of for the last several weeks what, if you could boil down Clinton's campaign to an elevator pitch, what is it? And 
economic economic recovery part two. Like, but I, I keep having Clinton? trouble coming you know, up with a simple narrative where Trump, <laughs> you, you can, you can come up with a narrative. It's a we're being screwed over by the Mexicans, the Chinese, all all this stuff. Mm. We need to seize the moment, rediscover what makes America great again, with air quotes. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. But th- that's at least a narrative you can rally around. There's a story he's telling, and Clinton isn't. I mean, Clinton has, you know, poli- you know, 15-page policy proposals that you know the wants love to dive into. But it- your average voter, who- what's the message you're selling them? And I'm having trouble figuring out what Clinton's is. I think that's a good point to end on. I'm Ian. I'm Trevor. And I'm Strott. Thanks for listening to Politico's podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe on wherever the fuck you subscribe to podcasts. (laughs) Thanks.